This is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and we are grateful to be here today studying with you chapters one through six of Moroni this week. And we are indicating that this is episode 46, but I know that it's episode 46 of this year, right? Something like that. Something like that. But um, Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Yeah, we hope it was a great holiday for you and your family, however funny way you happen to celebrate this year. It's been a crazy year. I know we have a low to share, but I do have a small high. This was the first year that I have uh, roasted my own turkey. That's right. I always benefited from someone else's uh, turkey skills. And so this year, me and YouTube cooked ourselves a turkey and it was pretty good. You did a great job. I did a good job. And I pretty much said, I'm not making a turkey, but you can. I made a turkey. And he went with it full force. I'm really happy with it. Like any other project, it was like four to one hours on YouTube to actual hours of work. (laughs) But look how much you've learned. Now next year we'll only spend two hours on YouTube. There you go. (laughs) And you guys, our low this week is just, I'm just going to call it 2020 is the low. Because I'm just kind of letting balls drop all over the place. And we, we, you noticed we had some wonderful guests this year and we're so grateful. And we were planning to have more. And then this year happened and we were going to have one for this episode actually. And then again, I'll blame it on myself. I just kind of dropped the ball on. No, blame it on 20. It's fun to blame things on 2020. That's true. You can do that for a long time. I had a bad hair day the other day and I blamed 2020. You are blaming 2020 on your bad hair. Mm -hmm. Um, No, you have good hair. You just need a haircut. Anyway, um, which hopefully he will get in 2020 sometime. 2021 is looking good for a haircut. So you get us again and we will stop talking about hair and all of that stuff. But just that we're grateful for all our guests this year. We meant to have one today, but we are going to study because these are, we're ending Moroni. I mean, we're not ending Moroni. We're ending our study. Ending and we're excited to um, dive into this new book and these chapters. And one quick announcement. Last year we came out with a study record and it was our first product and it was really fun. And we now have a bunch of resources on our website as well, study resources that many of you have downloaded. And it's been a fun little project of ours. We had planned to do a Doctrine and Covenant study record this year and blame it on 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, there is a small chance we're gonna do a hard copy version of the study record but we are going to do one that you can download from our website that we will keep you posted on as we hopefully get that out soon um but just wanted to give you a heads up for that i oh it's hard not to get excited about this doctrine and covenant study um and especially as we prepared the study record it was it's been fun kind of getting anxious and excited for what's up for next year so if you're unfamiliar with what the study record is uh, it's not a. Uh, there's some. There's some great study products uh, that you can purchase. This one is is a personal record of your own revelation that you'll receive in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's a place to record your thoughts, your feelings. So the resource we provide you is questions uh, and a little bit of uh, help and guidance. 
but mostly it's a it's a question guide. It's 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 your own personal podcast in your pocket. It asks you some questions, and then you get to search for those answers and record them. Um, it makes it I don't know kind of a kind of your own personal plates, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so we're excited about it. We're excited about our study of the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, and we'll talk more about that in upcoming episodes. And as we get into next year, we'll we'll share more of it. Yeah, and we'll for sure keep you posted as we get it up on our website and get it available and ready for you. But just wanted to give you a heads up. And now it's time to study. Well, this week, I, in fact, the last couple of weeks, I've been studying on and off. Uh, and by studying, I mean Wikipedia-ing. Um, the fall of... Famous world civilizations. It's a very uplifting study. Um, Turkeys and the fall of... That's it. That's what you've been that spending your time on. <laughs> um, someone mentioned it in an article I was reading, uh, The Fall of Rome, and gave some details about it that sounded very comparable to some of the things that we're facing today. Um, and so it captivated my interest, and I've been doing a little bit of research. I don't know a lot about it. But the topic has been on my mind. And so as I dove into these final chapters in Moroni, that's what I saw. Um, This is cheating a little bit. I'm going to look at Moroni chapter 9. In Moroni 9, uh, Moroni is quoting his father, Mormon. We actually don't get a whole lot of the writings of Moroni. The last two chapters in Mormon are written by Moroni. Moroni is the narrator of the book of Ether, and he inserts some of his thoughts there as well. And then in his own book, the majority of what's written is him quoting his father. Chapter 7, 8, and 9 are all Moroni um, inserting sermons from his father. Um, Chapters 1 through 6, as you'll know this week, are a pretty short study. They're very short chapters. And of course, chapter 10, a favorite chapter, is a little bit longer. But... In chapter 9, as Moroni quotes his father, uh, Mormon observes about Nephite civilization at its very end these things. Uh, This is verse 11. He says, O my beloved son, how can a people like this that are without civilization, yea, how can a people like this expect that God will stay his hand in judgment? without civilization. And then in verse 18, Oh, the depravity of my people, they are without order and without mercy. And then down in verse 20, they are without principle and past feeling. Uh, A small cross-reference, but in Mormon chapter 5, verse 16, if you back up to some of Mormon's writings in his own titled book, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord hath already ceased to strive with their fathers, and they are without Christ and God in the world. And it made me pause on a, not too uplifting question, but if you were to look at our world today and name some things that we are without, which ones of the things that Mormon names uh, would you say, yeah, that is pretty fitting description for our world today, or are there ones that you would add well, I don't know if that's something you wanted me to answer or yes, not, please. but I just can't, I mean, you can't help but see just a lot of similarities as we end out this. I thought that in 
in Mormon too, as we saw kind of all that was happening. So I guess I don't have a specific answer, but just seeing exactly what you're talking about that you can't help but kind of see the similarities. Mm-hmm. For me, the without order one stood out to me. Um, brought on, of course, by a worldwide pandemic and political unrest and uh, social turmoil, it seems like uh, the world is is kind of without order right now. Things don't make sense like they used to. And uh, in some ways, that might be positive for us as we deconstruct some of the things that were ordered, but maybe incorrectly ordered, and reconstruct them. Maybe we can reconstruct them in a way that is more beneficial to more people. But for me, at least, that's the one that stood out, that uh, the world is without order. Things have kind of fallen apart just a little bit. And as I thought about that and reflected then on Moroni's words at the beginning of his book, a word stood out to me that in four verses, Moroni repeats four times. Now, I always love to remember when I'm studying the words of Moroni because he's writing at the end of the plates, he doesn't have a lot of space. And he makes he talks about that quite often. There's not a lot of space on these plates. It's difficult to engrave things on plates, which hopefully combines in our mind to help us understand that uh, the things that these prophets put down on plates, they take a lot of time and effort and thought into it. There's no accidental things that end up on the plates. Uh, They're there deliberately, especially Moroni's writings. He mentions at the very beginning of his book that he wasn't intending to write anything else, but there's a little bit of space left, and so he's going to write just a little bit more. So the fact that he repeats a word four times in four verses suggests that he's deliberately repeating this word. You'll catch it as I read it. Chapter 3, verse 1. The manner which the disciples, who were called the elders of the church, ordained priests and teachers. Verse 3. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ordain you to be a priest. Verse 4. And after this manner did they ordain priests and teachers, uh, according to the gifts and callings of God unto men. And they ordained them by the power of the Holy Ghost which was in them. Now, this isn't the same word, but in verse in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, he uses the word manner. This is the manner by which you shall do things. That word ordain, we often, it's laden in our church context with, uh, with a lot of um, meaning. But at its simplest definition, to ordain something just means to set in order. When God ordains something, he's simply setting it in order. And so Moroni notices, or quotes that his father notices, that the world is without order. Moroni is looking forward into a future time when future readers will have his words. And I think his, his prayer is that we will learn from his record what we can do about our own day. And maybe these chapters, what we can specifically do to reorder our world based on God's directions. And so what we want to study this episode with you is, what are the things that God directs that would help us order our lives in a time when things might feel a bit out of order? What is the order of doing things? What is the manner of doing things that can help bring a little bit more sense and a little bit more peace to the world in which we live?
Well, I think first off as an answer to that was what I couldn't help but notice. And it's kind of obvious because we have the sacrament prayers and we have all of these instructions from Moroni on how to gather and how to come together. And I just couldn't help but think about Sundays and the Sabbath day. Um, I'm going to read Moroni chapter 6. So starting in verse 4, he says, And after they had been received unto baptism, and were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the Church of Christ, and their names were taken that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God, to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto the prayers, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and the finisher of their faith. And the church did meet together oft to fast and to pray and speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. And they did meet together oft to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Now it's interesting, obviously in this year, speaking of 2020, that we these meeting together oft looks a lot different. And I think that's why this stuck out to me right now in thinking about what our Sabbath worship looks like and how that's really changed this year. Um, at home church, I know has been, has been so awesome in so many ways. And I know many of us love it and, but it's also that yearning to meet together oft, but that we still have that opportunity. Although our meetings look different, whether you're by yourself or you're meeting in small groups or you're meeting with your family, um, it looks different than it did. And I think for me, it has caused me to reflect more fully on what the Sabbath generally means. It's not just going to church. It's really turning it into a Sabbath, a day of rest. And I tried to do that before, but when you're not actually going to church, it really makes you have to be more intentional about it. At least that's what I found for myself. Um, it made me think of President Nelson's talk from April of 2015, The Sabbath is a Delight. And he mentions his experience. He says, I knew that the Sabbath became a day for personal healing by the end of each week. My hands were sore from repeatedly scrubbing them with soap water and a bristle brush. I also needed a breather from the burden of a demanding profession, and Sunday provided much-needed relief. Um, I think that's how a lot of us can feel, and that when we remember that the Sabbath really is a time for us to come together, whatever that looks like for you right now, um, that that can really bring order to our lives and our hearts. I think that his example of his hands getting worn down can be how our hearts and our minds and maybe your life feels. And that I really think that these instructions that he gives about the Sabbath day can be so rewarding when we follow them. The sacrament and gathering together, however that looks, um, is one of the ways that we can can bring that to our own lives. It's interesting because you and I have talked about this uh, with each other and with other people, but um, with the last couple of months, so many of us have been at home during our traditional worship services, either watching them online or over Zoom or um, for a good chunk of the spring and the summer, we were um, just 
having sacrament meetings kind of on our own without any kind of uh, instruction or connection with our ward. And now, of course, we have a live stream for our ward sacrament meetings, and it's a little bit more organized. But um, I've heard a lot of people ask the question of <laughs> what what happens? Are, are we ever going back to in-person? Do we want to go back to in-person meetings? I really like being at home. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've liked it. You know, we don't have to wrestle our kids on the pew and uh, get them ready for church at nine o'clock in the morning and um, try and keep them quiet and reverent for an hour while we're sitting in sacrament meeting and, uh, you know, wade through the hustle and bustle of the halls of getting to classes and getting back. I mean, there's a lot of things that were stressful about church. And uh, when we move to home, truly home-centered church, uh, a lot of those things disappeared. And so we've asked that question. Other people have talked about it. Well, are we even going to go back to in-person? And I loved reading this. Obviously, things look different right now, but Moroni is very clear that the Lord's order for his church is that we meet together often. Um, And he lists the things, I love these verses, in the reasons why we should meet together often that we should be watchful unto prayer, that we rely on Christ, of course, that we uh, fast together, pray together, that we speak concerning the welfare of our souls, that we partake of the bread and the water. Um, Down in verse 9, I love the five actions listed for our meetings. He says, Their meetings were conducted by the church after the manner of the workings of the Spirit and by the power of the Holy Ghost. For as the power of the Holy Ghost led them, whether to preach, or to exhort, or to pray, or to supplicate, or to sing, even so it was done. And so I love these verses for a good guide for how our meetings should run. And it's clear that even though we have a temporary adjustment to the way that our meetings are run and where they're taking place, God's order hasn't changed he still desires that we meet together often, whether it's right now over technology or in the future back to being in person, so that we can strengthen each other in this way. But don't you think the beauty, and I know this has been mentioned all over, but as we talk about a you know quote-unquote new normal, whatever that is, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. I, I know that in our own family, I think this whole thing has really caused us to say, what is important? What are we spending our time doing now that things have changed so much and slowed down so much? And I think that's the same with um, our meetings. Mm -hmm. Who knows what what will come of it? I think in a lot of ways we've been prepared for a couple years as we began being trained for at-home church, really. And, um, you know, I, I think these elements that you mentioned are so important for meeting together. And especially that, um, I love it at the end of verse four, that, relying, um, you know, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and finisher of their faith, that really were there for each other in that brotherhood, that sisterhood, to remind each other of Christ and the power that he has in our lives. And I think that those elements are so necessary, the preaching, exhorting, and praying, supplicating, and singing. Um, But that maybe things are going to look different. We're going to learn lessons from the essentials of what's really important. And I like that aspect of it. Well, it's it's refreshing to look at these verses and see what's not listed. 
and maybe when we return to full in-person meetings, they might look a little bit different. Um, <laughs> what's not listed in these verses is that they met together off to review announcements, that they get met together often to organize various activities, that they met together often to uh, debate doctrinal topics, um, or even that they met together often to socialize. Now, not that any of those things are bad, maybe debating doctrinal topics is, but none of those are bad, but that's not what brings joy to the Sabbath. What brings joy to us on the Sabbath is focusing on the Savior and preaching, exhorting, praying, supplicating, and singing together, and of course, partaking of ordinances and, and the sacrament that help order our lives. And so as we return to those in-person meetings, or even as we're conducting them in our own homes, it's important to remember, as you're saying, the things that bring true joy and delight on the Sabbath. And I think it's part of what Moroni's ordering message is here. Though I'm not going to mind a little bit of socialization. <laughs> kind of miss that yeah, a little bit. <laughs> the one that I found was, uh, of course, the sacrament prayers are very prominently featured in these chapters. But as I was studying chapters four and five, the sacrament prayers, and then chapter six, the order or the manner of baptism that Moroni lays out, I noticed there was something different in these chapters, a different order to things than I usually think about these, and maybe that you usually think about them. So I think in order to truly understand the manner of the sacrament and what place it should play in our life, uh, we have to look at chapter six and the manner of baptism. Here's the misconception, or here's the, the out-of-order truths or, or teachings about uh, baptism. Um, I've heard it said, you have too, and, and it's in our article of faith, so it's not wrong, that baptism is for the remission of sins. But that perplexed me when I started looking at um, eight-year-olds in our church being baptized. I got to interview one of my sons for baptism, and we just had one of our other sons be baptized this last summer. And it kind of puzzled me because if baptism is to wash away sins, I was sitting down with one of my sons as, as we were having this baptismal interview, and I asked him, you know, what's the purpose of baptism? Do you know what it is? And he says, well, it's to wash away your sins. But I paused there because I thought, but if that's the sole purpose of baptism, you, eight-year-old son, don't have sins. You haven't been held accountable. I mean, you've made mistakes, of course, but what horrible sins does an eight-year-old have to wash away? And if that's the sole purpose of baptism, then it's kind of wasted on an eight-year-old. And so as I was looking at these chapters, that was in my mind, and I noticed something. Moroni places the cleansing after the baptism, not as part of it. Uh, the baptism doesn't make you worthy. You become worthy for baptism. And then baptism opens up the doors of cleansing. He said it better. This is uh, chapter six. Notice the order. And now I speak concerning baptism. Behold, elders, priests, and teachers were baptized, and they were not baptized, save they brought forth fruit, meat that they were worthy of. It. Notice the worthiness comes before the baptism. Neither did they receive any unto baptism, save they came forth with a broken heart, a contrite spirit, and witness unto the church that they had truly repented of all their sins. Meaning, they had repented of their sins. They had become worthy before the baptism. 
None were received unto baptism, save they took upon them the name of Christ, having determination to serve him to the end. And after they had been received unto baptism, and were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the church of Christ, and their names were taken that they might be remembered, etc. In other words, you, they weren't baptized necessarily, or, or only to wash away sins. They were baptized to open up a future of cleansing. And I think that's important to remember when we think of the sacrament prayers. Um, the worthiness, the repentance, and that work came before, but the power of the ordinance lasted uh, and perpetuated the future life. And so farther, rather than baptism being the end of a journey, it was really the beginning of a journey. Uh, it's a connection to Christ and a determination to follow him. And I love, as you do, the line in the sacrament prayers that we witness our willingness to follow Christ, to take his name upon us so that he can cleanse us. It's not the end of a process. It's the beginning. It's the it's the promise that I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to let you into my life. I'm going to let you cleanse me and heal me and take care of me. That's what baptism is. And that's what the sacrament is. It's not, I'm going to take this bread and water and wipe away everything that I've ever done. It's, I'm going to take this bread and water and start living a life forward with, with you, God, as part of it. I think that's great in thinking how reflective that the sacrament can be for each of us. And I think as we think of this question, so the study that we asked ourselves was, what is the correct order and manner of doing things? And of course, very quickly, these chapters can become, oh, we're supposed to do meet this way and do things this way. But what I was thinking as, especially Zach, as you were talking about the sacrament, was what these chapters can mean for us personally. What is the correct order and manner of doing things for ourselves, for me and for my heart? And what do I really need? Um, these these phrases that I underlined as I studied, just some of these, the broken heart, contrite spirit, truly repented, t taking upon the name of Christ and being nourished by the good word of God, all of these things that are very personal. So it becomes not just a general idea of how we should be doing things as a church or as a ward, but really how we're supposed to do it personally and what it means for us to come to Sabbath, our Sabbath worship and all of these other areas of that Sabbath worship with that broken heart, contrite spirit and be repentant and come unto the Lord and um, rely alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and finisher of our faith. And I think this study can become just really reflective as maybe even setting intentions, looking back at this past year, this year that's probably really shaped our faith in a new and different way. I know it has for me, so maybe you've experienced that same thing. Um, and looking forward to next year of, what am I going to do next year? What are my intentions for how I want this this worship in my family, in my home, and in my personal life to feel like? Well, and uh, some very favorite verses right at the beginning of this, I think, illustrate a central, the central part of all of this ordering. Uh, Moroni's life is a 
perfect example of something that is out of order or chaotic. He's living in a world where his family and his people have been completely dissolved into chaos and destruction. His life uh, is the epitome of something without order and without civilization. And yet, he holds on to this. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now I, Moroni, after having made an end of abridging the account of the people of Jared, I had supposed not to have written more. But I have not as yet perished, and I make not myself known to the Lamanites, lest they should destroy me. For behold, their wars are exceedingly fierce among themselves. And because of their hatred, they put to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. I think the center of Moroni's life that provides him order and manner and meaning is his relationship with Christ. He's seen him, he's talked to him, he's been blessed by him, and that's what keeps Moroni going. And throughout this worldwide pandemic that uh, has taken up our 2020 and will probably last a little bit into our 2021 at the least, the thing that provides us order is our relationship with Christ. He's the one that makes our Sabbath meaningful. He's the one that makes the sacrament powerful. He's the one that provides order and meaning and uh, and power and delight and joy to our lives. And so as we come to him and order our lives in the way that he's given us, I think we can really find that true peace and that joy. Thank you so much for studying with us today. Um, We hope you have a great week and, of course, a great study. We'll see you next week.